0: Welcome to this Ubula audio presentation of Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. Volume 6, Chapter 10 The next night, Hayes parked the Essex in front of the Odeon Theater and climbed up on it and began to preach. Let me tell you what I and this church stand for, he yelled from the nose of the car. Stop one minute to listen to the truth, because you may never hear it again. He stood there with his neck thrust forward, moving one arm upward in a vague arc. Two women and a boy stopped. I preach there are all kinds of truth, your truth and somebody else's. But behind all of them, there's only one truth, and that is that there's no truth, he called. No truth. Behind all truths is what I and this church preach. Where you come from is gone. Where you thought you were going was never there. And where you are is no good unless you can get away from it. Where is there a place for you to be? No place. Nothing outside you can give you any place. You needn't to look at the sky because it's not going to open up and show you no place behind it. You needn't to search for any hole in the ground to look through into somewhere else. You can't go neither forwards nor backwards into your daddy's time nor your children's if you have them. And yourself right now is all the place you've got. If there was any fall, look there. If there was any redemption, look there. And if you expect any judgment, look there. Because they all three will have to be in your time and your body And where in your time and your body can they be? Where in your time and your body has Jesus redeemed you? He cried. Show me where, because I don't see the place. If there was a place where Jesus had redeemed you, that would be the place for you to be. But which of you can find it? Another trickle of people came out of the Odeon, and two stopped to look at him. Who is it that says it's your conscience? He cried looking around with a constricted face as if he could smell the particular person who thought that. Your conscience is a trick. It don't exist, though you may think it does. And if you think it does, you had best get it out in the open and hunt it down and kill it, because it's no more than your face in the mirror or your shadow behind you. He was preaching with such concentration he didn't notice a high rat-colored car that had been driven around the block three times already, while the two men in it hunted for a place to park. He didn't see it when it pulled in two cars over from him in a space that another car had just pulled out of. And he didn't see Hoover Schultz and a man in a glare blue suit and white hat get out of it. And after a few seconds, his head turned that way, and he saw the man in the glare blue suit and white hat up on the nose of it. He was so struck with how gaunt and thin he looked in the illusion That he stopped preaching. He had never pictured himself that way before. The man he saw was hollow-chested and carried his neck thrust forward and his arms down by his side, and he stood there as if he were waiting for some signal he was afraid he might not catch. Hoover Schultz was walking about on the sidewalk, striking a few chords on his guitar. Friends, he called, I want to introduce you to the true prophet here and I want you all to listen to his words, because I think they're going to make you happy like they've made me. If Hayes had not noticed Hoover, he might have been impressed by how happy he looked, but his attention was fixed on the man on the nose of the car. He slid down from his own car and moved up closer, never taking his eyes from the bleak figure. Hoover Schultz raised his hand with two fingers pointed, and the man suddenly cried out in a high nasal sing-song voice, The unredeemed are redeeming themselves, and the new Jesus is at hand. Watch for the miracle. Help yourself to salvation in the Holy Church of Christ without Christ. He called it over again in exactly the same tone of voice, but faster. Then he began to cough. He had a loud, consumptive cough that started somewhere deep in him and finished with a long wheeze. He expectorated a thin white fluid at the end of it. Hayes was standing next to a fat woman who, after a minute, turned her head and stared at him, then turned it again and stared at the true prophet. Finally, she touched his elbow with hers and grinned at him.
1: Him and you twins?
0: She asked. If you don't hunt it down and kill it, it'll hunt you down and kill you, Hayes answered. Huh? She said. He turned away and she stared at him as he got back in his car and drove off. Then she touched the elbow of a man on the other side
1: of her. He's nuts. I've never seen no twins that hunted each other down. When he got back to his room,
0: Sabbath Hawks was in his bed. She was pushed over into one corner of it, sitting with one arm drawn around her knees and one hand holding onto the sheet as if she meant to hang on to it. Her face was sullen and apprehensive. Hayes sat down on the bed, but he barely glanced at her.
1: I don't care if you hit me with the table, she said. I'm not going. There's no place for me to go. He's run off on me, and it was you that run him off. I was watching last night, and I seen you come in and hold that match to his face. I thought anybody would have seen when he was before that, without having to strike no match. He's just a crook. He ain't even a big crook, just a little one. And he gets tired of that, and he begs on the street.
0: Hayes leaned down and began untying his shoes. They were old army shoes that he had painted black to get the government off. He untied them and eased his feet out and sat there looking down while she
1: watched him cautiously. Are you going to hit me or not? She asked. If you are, go ahead and do it now, because I'm not going I ain't got no place to go.
0: He didn't look as if he were going to hit anything. He looked as if he were going to sit there until he died.
1: Listen, she said with a quick change of tone. From the minute I set eyes on you, I said to myself, that's what I got to have. Just give me some of him. I said, look at those pecan eyes and go crazy, girl. That innocent look don't hide a thing. He's just... Pure filthy, right down to the guts like me. The only difference is, I like being that way, and he don't. Yes, sir, she said. I like being that way, and I can teach you how to like it. Don't you want to learn how to like it?
0: He turned his head slightly, and just over his shoulder, he saw a pinched, homely little face with bright green eyes and a grin. Yeah, he said with no change in his stony expression. I want to. He stood up and took off his coat and his trousers and his drawers and put them on the straight chair. Then he turned off the light and sat down on the cot again and pulled off his socks. His feet were big and white and damp on the floor and he sat there looking at the two white shapes they made. Come on, make haste, she said, knocking his back with her knee. He unbuttoned his shirt and took it off and wiped his face with it and dropped it on the floor. Then he slid his legs under the cover by her and sat there as if he were waiting to remember one more thing. She was breathing very quickly.
1: Take off your hat, King of
0: Beasts, she said gruffly, and her hand came up behind his head and snatched the hat off and sent it flying across the room in the dark. Chapter 11 The next morning toward noon, a person in a long black raincoat, with a lightish hat pulled down low on his face and the brim of it turned down to meet the turned up collar of the raincoat, was moving rapidly along certain back streets, close to the walls of the buildings. He was carrying something about the size of a baby, wrapped up in newspapers, and he carried a dark umbrella too as the sky was an unpredictable surly gray like the back of an old goat. He had on a pair of dark glasses and a black beard, which a keen observer would have said was not a natural growth, but was pinned onto his hat on either side with safety pins. As he walked along, the umbrella kept slipping out from under his arm and getting tangled in his feet, as if it meant to keep him from going anywhere. He had not gone half a block before large, putty-colored drops began to spatter onto the pavement, and there was an ugly growl in the sky behind him. He began to run, clutching the bundle in one arm and the umbrella in the other. In a second, the storm overtook him, and he ducked between two show windows into the blue-and-white-tiled entrance of a drugstore. He lowered his dark glasses a little. The pale eyes that looked over the rims belonged to Enoch Emery. Enoch was on his way to Hazel Motz's room. He had never been to Hazel Motz's place before, but the instinct that was guiding him was very sure of itself. What was in the bundle was what he had shown Hazel in the museum. He had stolen it the day before. He had darkened his face and hands with brown shoe polish so that if he were seen in the act, he would be taken for a colored person. Then he had sneaked into the museum while the guard was asleep and had broken the glass case with a wrench he'd borrowed from his landlady. Then, shaking and sweating, he had lifted out the shriveled man and thrust him into a paper sack, and had crept out again past the guard who was still asleep. He realized as soon as he had got out of the museum that since no one had seen him to think he was a colored boy, he would be suspected immediately, and he would have to disguise himself. That was why he had in the black beard and dark glasses. When he got back to his room, he had taken the new Jesus out of the sack and, hardly daring to look at him, had laid him in the gilded cabinet. Then he had sat down on the edge of his bed to wait. He was waiting for something to happen. He didn't know what. He knew something was going to happen and his entire nervous system was waiting on it. He thought it was going to be one of the supreme moments in his life, but apart from that, he didn't have the vaguest notion of what it might be. He pictured himself, after it was over, as an entirely new man, with an even better personality than he had now. He sat there for about 15 minutes and nothing happened. He sat there for about five more. Then he realized he had to make the first move. He got up and tiptoed to the cabinet and squatted down at the door of it. In a second, he opened it a crack and looked in. After a while, very slowly he broadened the crack and inserted his head into the tabernacle. Some more time passed. From directly behind him, only the soles of his shoes and the seat of his trousers were visible. The room was absolutely silent. There was no sound even from the street. The universe might have been shut off. Not a flea jumped. Then, without any warning, a loud liquid noise burst from the cabinet and there was the thump of bone cracked once against a piece of wood. Enoch staggered backwards, clutching his head in his face. He sat on the floor for a few minutes with a shocked expression on his whole figure. At the first instant, he had thought it was the shriveled man who had sneezed, but after a second, he perceived the condition of his own nose. He wiped it off with his sleeve, and then sat down on the floor for some time longer. His expression had showed that a deep, unpleasant knowledge was breaking on him slowly. After a while, he had kicked the ark door shut in the new Jesus' face, and then he had got up and began to eat a candy bar very rapidly. He had eaten it as if he had something against it. The next morning, he had not got up until 10 o'clock. It was his day off, and he had not set out until nearly noon to look for Hazel Moats. He remembered the address Sabbath Hawks had given him, and that was where his instinct was leading him. He was very sullen and disgruntled in having to spend his day off in such a way as this, and in bad weather, but he wanted to get rid of the new Jesus, so that if the police had to catch anybody for the robbery, they could catch Hazel Motes instead of him. He couldn't understand at all why he had let himself risk his skin for a dead, shriveled-up dwarf that had never done anything but get himself embalmed and then lay stinking in a museum the rest of his life. It was far beyond his understanding. He was very sullen. So far as he was now concerned, one Jesus was as bad as another. He had borrowed his landlady's umbrella and he discovered as he stood in the entrance of the drugstore, trying to open it, that it was at least as old as she was. When he finally got it hoisted, He pushed his dark glasses back on his eyes and re-entered the downpour. The umbrella was one his landlady had stopped using 15 years before, which was the only reason that she had lent it to him. And as soon as the rain touched the top of it, it came down with a shriek and stabbed him in the back of the neck. He ran a few feet with it over his head and then backed into another store entrance and removed it. Then to get it up again, he had to place the tip of it on the ground and ram it open with his foot he ran out again holding his hand up near the spokes to keep them open and this allowed the handle which was carved to represent the head of a fox terrier to jab him every few seconds in the stomach he proceeded for another quarter of a block this way before the back half of the silk stood up off the spokes and allowed the storm to sweep down his collar then he ducked under the marquee of a movie house It was Saturday and there were a lot of children standing more or less in line in front of the ticket box. Enoch was not very fond of children, but children always seemed to like to look at him. The line turned and twenty or thirty eyes began to observe him with steady interest. The umbrella had assumed an ugly position, half up, half down. The half that was up was about to come down and spill more water under his collar. When this happened, the children laughed and jumped up and down. Enoch glared at them and turned his back and lowered his dark glasses. He found himself facing a life-size four-color picture of a gorilla. Over the gorilla's head, written in red letters, was GONGA, Giant Jungle Monarch and a Great Star, Here in Person. At the level of the gorilla's knee, there was more that said, Gonga will appear in person in front of this theater at 12 a.m. today. A free pass to the first ten brave enough to step up and shake his hand. Enoch was usually thinking of something else at the moment that fate began drawing back her leg to kick him. When he was four years old, his father had brought him home a tin box from the penitentiary. It was orange and had a picture of some peanut brittle on the outside of it and green letters that said, A nutty surprise! When Enoch had opened it, a coiled piece of steel had sprung out at him and broken off the ends of his two front teeth. His life was full of so many happenings like that that it would seem he should have been more sensitive to his times of danger. He stood there and read the poster twice through carefully. To his mind, an opportunity to insult a successful ape came from the Hand of Providence. He suddenly regained all of his reverence for the new Jesus. He saw that he was going to be rewarded after all and have the supreme moment he had expected. He turned around and asked the nearest child what time it was. The child said it was 12.10 and that Gonga was already 10 minutes late. Another child said that maybe the rain had delayed him. Another said, no, not the rain. His director was taking a plane from Hollywood. Enoch gritted his teeth. The first child said that if he wanted to shake the star's hand, he would have to get in line like the rest of them and wait his turn. Enoch got in line. A child asked him how old he was, and another observed that he had funny-looking teeth. He ignored all this as best he could and began to straighten out the umbrella. Eventually, in a few minutes, a black truck turned around the corner and came slowly up the street in the heavy rain. Enoch pushed the umbrella under his arm and began to squint through the dark glasses. As the truck approached, a phonograph inside began to play Tarara Boumdiyeh, but the music was almost drowned out by the rain. There was a large illustration of a blonde on the outside of the truck, advertising some other pictures than the gorillas. The children held their line carefully as the truck stopped in front of the movie house. The back door of it was constructed like a paddy wagon, with a grate. But the ape was not at it. Two men in raincoats got out of the cab part, cursing, and ran around to the back and opened the door. One of them stuck his head in and said, Okay, make it snappy, will ya? The other jerked his thumb at the children and said,
1: Get back, will ya? Will ya get
0: back? A roar on the record inside the truck said, Here's, here's Gonga, folks. folks. Roaring Gonga and a great star. star. Give Gonga a big hand, folks. folks. The voice was barely a mumble in the rain. The man who was waiting by the door of the truck stuck his head in. "'Okay, will you get out?' he said. There was a faint thump somewhere inside the van. After a second, a dark furry arm emerged, just enough for the rain to touch it and then drew back inside. "'Damn,' the man who was under the marquee said. He took off his raincoat and threw it to the man by the door, who threw it into the wagon. After two or three minutes more, the gorilla appeared at the door, with the raincoat buttoned up to his chin, and the collar turned up. There was an iron chain hanging from around his neck. The man grabbed it and pulled him down, and the two of them bounded under the marquee again. A motherly-looking woman was in the glass ticket booth, getting the passes ready for the first ten children brave enough to step up and shake hands. The gorilla ignored the children entirely, and followed the man over to the other side of the entrance, where there was a small platform raised about a foot off the ground. He stepped up onto it, and turned facing the children, and began to growl. His growls were not so much loud as poisonous. They appeared to issue from a black heart. Enoch was terrified, and if he had not been surrounded by the children, he would have run away. "Who will step up first, the man said. Come on, come on, who'll step up first? A free pass to the first kid stepping up. There was no movement from the group of children. The man glared at them. What's the matter with you kids? Why you yellow? He won't hurt you as long as I got him by this chain. He tightened his grip on the chain and jangled it at them to show he was holding it securely. After a minute, a little girl separated herself from the group. She had long, wood-shaving curls and a fierce, triangular face. She moved up to within four feet of the star. Okay, come on, okay, make it snappy, the man said, rattling the chain. The ape reached out and gave her hand a quick shake. By this time there was another little girl ready, and then two boys. The line reformed and began to move up. The gorilla kept his hand extended and turned his head away with a bored look at the rain. Enoch had got over his fear and was trying frantically to think of an obscene remark that would be suitable to insult him with. Usually he didn't have any trouble with this kind of composition, but nothing came to him now. His brain, both parts, was completely empty. He couldn't think of even the insulting phrases he used every day. There were only two children in front of him by now. The first one shook hands and stepped aside. Enoch's heart was beating violently. The child in front of him was finished and stepped aside and left him facing the ape. Who took his hand with an automatic motion it was the first hand that had been extended to enoch since he had come to the city and it was warm and soft for a second he only stood there clasping it then he began to stammer my name is enoch emory he mumbled i attended the road Mill boys bible academy i work at the city zoo I seen t- t- two of your pictures. I'm, I'm only 18 years old, but I already worked for the city. My daddy made me come, and his voice cracked. The star leaned slightly forward, and a change came over his eyes. An ugly pair of human ones moved closer and squinted at an Enoch from behind the celluloid pair. You go to hell a surly voice inside the ape-suit said, low but distinctly, and the hand jerked away. Enoch's humiliation was so sharp and painful that he turned around three times before he realized which direction he wanted to go in. Then he ran off into the rain as fast as he could. By the time he reached Sabbath Hawks' house, he was soaked through, and so was his bundle. He held it in a fierce grip, But all he wanted was to get rid of it and never see it again. Hayes' landlady was out on the porch looking distrustfully into the storm. He found out from her where Hayes' room was and went up to it. The door was ajar and he stuck his head in a crack. Hayes was lying on his cot with a wash rag over his eyes and the exposed part of his face was ashen and set in a grimace, as if he were in permanent pain. Sabbath Hawks was sitting at the table by the window studying herself in a pocket mirror. Enoch scratched on the wall and she looked up. She put the mirror down and tiptoed out into the hall and shut the door
1: behind her. My man is sick today and sleeping because he didn't sleep none last night. What do you want? She said. This is
0: for him. It ain't for you. Enoch said, handing her the wet bundle. A friend of his give it to me to give to him. I don't know what's in it.
1: I'll take care of it.
0: You needn't
1: worry none, she said.
0: Enoch had an urgent need to insult somebody immediately. It was the only thing that could give his feelings even a temporary relief. i never known he would have nothing to do with you,
1: he remarked, giving her one of his special looks. He couldn't leave off following me. Sometimes it's a -a that-a-way with them. So you don't know what's in this package?
0: Layovers to catch meddlers, he said. You just give it to him. He'll know what it is. You can tell him I'm glad to get shut of it. He started down the stairs and halfway he turned and gave her another special look. I see why he has to put that of their wash rag over his eyes, he said. You keep your beeswax in your ears, she said. Nobody asked you. Then she heard the front door slam behind him. She turned the bundle over and began to examine it. There was no telling from the outside what was in it. It was too hard to be clothes and too soft to be a machine. She tore a hole in the paper at one end and saw what looked like five dried peas in a row. But the hall was too dark for her to see clearly what they were. She decided to take the package to the bathroom, where there was good light and open it up before she gave it to Hayes. If he was so sick as he said he was, he wouldn't want to be bothered by any bundle. Early that morning he had claimed to have a terrible pain in his chest. He had begun to cough during the night, a hard, hollow cough that sounded as if he were making it up as he went along. She was certain he was only trying to drive her off by letting her think that he was catching a disease.
1: He's not really sick,
0: she said to herself going down the hall.
1: He just ain't used to me yet.
0: She went in and sat on the edge of a large green claw-footed tub and ripped the strig off the package. But he'll get used to me, she muttered. She pulled off the wet paper and let it fall to the floor. Then she sat with a stunned look, staring at what was in her lap. Two days out of the glass case had not improved the new Jesus's condition. One side of his face had been partly mashed in, and on the other side, His eyelid had split and a pale dust was seeping out of it. For a while her face had an empty look as if she didn't know what she thought about him or didn't think anything. She might have sat there for ten minutes without a thought held by whatever it was that was familiar about him. She had never known anyone who looked like him before, but there was something in him of everyone she had ever known, as if they were all rolled into one person and killed and shrunk and dried. She held him up and began to examine him, and after a minute her hands grew accustomed to the feel of his skin. Some of his hair had come undone, and she brushed it back where it belonged, holding him in the crook of her arm and looking down into his squinched face. His mouth had been knocked a little to one side, so that there was a trace of a grin covering his terrified look. She began to rock him a little in her arm, and a slight reflection of the same grin appeared on her own face.
1: "'Well, I declare,' she murmured. "'You're right cute, ain't you?'
0: His head fitted exactly into the hollow of her shoulder.
1: "'Who's your mommy and daddy?' she asked.
0: An answer came into her mind at once, and she let out a short little bark and sat grinning with a pleased expression in her eyes.
1: "'Well, let's go give him a jolt,'
0: she said after a while. Hayes had already been jolted awake when the front door had been slammed behind Enoch Emery. He sat up, and seeing she was not in the room, he jumped up and began to put on his clothes. He had one thought in mind, and it had come to him, like his decision to buy a car, out of his sleep and without any indication of it beforehand. He was going to move immediately to some other city and preach the church without Christ where they had never heard of it. He would get another room there and another woman and make a new start with nothing on his mind. The entire possibility of this came from the advantage of having a car, of having something that moved fast, in privacy to the place you wanted to be. He looked out the window at the Essex. It sat high and square in the pouring rain. He didn't notice the rain, only the car. If asked, he would not have been able to say that it was raining. He was charged with energy, and he left the window and finished putting on his clothes. Earlier that morning, when he had woken up for the first time, he had felt as if he were about to be caught by a complete consumption in his chest. It had seemed to be growing hollow all night, and yawning underneath him, and he had kept hearing his coughs as if they came from a distance. After a while he had been sucked down into a strengthless sleep, but he had woken up with his plan, and with the energy to carry it out right away. He snatched his duffel bag from under the table and began plunging his extra belongings into it. He didn't have much, and a quarter of what he had was already in. His hand managed the packing so that it never touched the Bible that had sat like a rock in the bottom of the bag for the last few years. But as he rooted out a place for his second shoes, his fingers clutched around a small oblong object, and he pulled it out. It was the case with his mother's glasses in it. He had forgotten that he had a pair of glasses. He put them on, and the wall that he was facing moved up closer and wavered. It was a small white-framed mirror hung on the back of the door. He made his way to it and looked at himself. His blurred face was dark with excitement, and the lines in it were deep and crooked. The little silver-rimmed glasses gave him a look of deflected sharpness, as if they were hiding some dishonest plan that would show in his naked eyes. His fingers began to snap nervously, and he forgot what he had been going to do. He saw his mother's face in his, looking at the face in the mirror. He moved back quickly and raised his hand to take off the glasses. But the door opened, and two more faces floated into his line of vision. One of them said, Call me mamma now. The smaller, dark one just under the other only squinted as if it were trying to identify an old friend who was going to kill it. Hay stood motionless, with one hand still on the bow of the glasses, and the other arrested in the air at the level of his chest. His head was thrust forward as if he had to use his whole face to see it. He was about four feet from them, but they seemed just under his eyes.
1: Ask your daddy yonder where he's running off to, sick as he is,
0: Sabbath said.
1: "'Ask him, isn't he going to take you and me with him?'
0: The hand that had been arrested in the air moved forward and plucked at the squinting face, but without touching it. It reached again slowly and plucked at nothing, and then it lunged and snatched the shriveled body and threw it against the wall. The head popped and the trash inside sprayed out in a little cloud of dust.
1: "'You've broken him!'
0: Sabbath shouted.
1: "'And he was mine!'
0: Hayes snatched the skin off the floor. He opened the outside door where the landlady thought there had once been a fire escape and flung out what he had in his hand. The rain blew it on his face and he jumped back and stood with a cautious look as if he were bracing himself for a blow.
1: "'You didn't have to throw him out. I might have fixed him!'
0: she yelled. He moved up closer and hung out the door, staring into the grey blur around him. The rain fell on his hat with loud splatters, as if it were falling on tin.
1: I knew when I'd first seen you, you were mean and evil,
0: a furious voice behind him said.
1: I seen you wouldn't let nobody have nothing. I seen you were mean enough to slam a baby against a wall. I seen you wouldn't have no fun or let anybody else, because you didn't want nothing but Jesus.
0: He turned and raised his arm in a vicious gesture almost losing his balance on the door. Drops of rainwater were splattering over the front of the glasses and on his red face, and here and there they hung sparkling from the brim of his hat. I don't want nothing but the truth, he shouted,
1: and what you see is the truth, and I've seen it. That's just preacher talk." Where are you going to run off to? She said. I've seen the only truth there is, he shouted. Where were you going to run off to?
0: To some other city, he said in a loud hoarse voice. To preach the truth, the church without Christ. And I got a car to get me there in. I got... But he was stopped by a cough. It was not much of a cough. It sounded like a little yell for help at the bottom of a canyon. But the color and the expression drained out of his face until it was as straight and blank as the rain falling down behind him.
1: And when were you going?
0: She asked. After I get some more sleep, he said, and pulled off the glasses and threw them out the door.
1: You ain't gonna get
0: none, she said.